Welcome to the Exam Room Rambles podcast, where veterinarian Dr. Tracy Westergaard shares the same tips, opinions, and explanations she gives you in the exam room, only without barking dogs or hissing cats. We're really glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. I know, I know, I'm sorry. It's been two months since our last podcast, but as you know, I have a day job, and it's been a crazy busy day job. Not only that, but with the kids back in school and my farmer husband in the field, I had to take a break and take care of other things. But now life is slowing down a little bit because the kids are home, homeschooling because of COVID. And pretty much the rest of Minnesota is shut down too. It happens to be Thanksgiving Day 2020, in case you are listening to this in the future. Today I want to talk about a health condition that I'm going to see tomorrow. And I bet Dr. Carly's going to see a case tomorrow too, and probably over the weekend. So this is stress colitis, basically the nervous shits. Now, dogs and cats can both get stress colitis, but we see it a lot more commonly in dogs. Now, this does not mean that cats are not stressed. It's just we don't usually take cats out of their environment during things like the holidays, Cats aren't going to boarding kennels as often the way dogs are or cat daycares. (laughs) We've got a couple doggy daycares in our town. And even though people aren't traveling as much, those daycares are extremely popular and extremely busy so that dogs can get socialized and have their fun time while their owners are back in work. The other reason we don't see cats with a stress colitis um, is because they're less likely to scavenge the way a dog will. Most dogs will eat about anything dead or rotten smelling just for the sake of eating it. And of course, right after they have rolled in it. Cats, no way. They are way too picky. In fact, a lot of cats won't eat the cat food if it's been sitting in their bowl more than half of a day. It's kind of a cute story about my cat Hisser. I have got a bowl in the corner of my kitchen and we've got a couple dogs that I'll drink out of that bowl. But Hisser won't let her lips touch that water. What she does is she takes her paw and she will scoop it up and lick it. And my husband apparently hadn't seen this before. And he said, what is the cat doing? I said, she's getting a drink. And he's like, why doesn't she just drink out of it? I said, because there's dog slobber in that bowl and she does not want her face anywhere near it. And so to to show him (laughs) that that's the truth, I grabbed a fresh bowl out of the kitchen cupboard, put a little water in it, set it directly next to the dog bowl. And sure enough, she went and lapped it up, drank right out of it. He just shook his head and walked away. So the point of that story is cats are so much more discerning about what they put their mouth on, especially the pampered house cat. Back to stress colitis and what we're talking about today. Stress colitis is something we see almost every single day at the Marshall Animal Clinic, if not every day, at least several cases a week. And we definitely see increased numbers after certain situations, holidays being one of them. The other one is after dogs have been at a stay at a kennel, people have had company, even some more bigger life stretches, bigger life stress, like a child moving off to college. So the number one sign is diarrhea. Now, diarrhea can be defined as increased frequency of stool as long as along with decreased consistency. So if your dog just has looser stools, but still just going one time a day, that's not technically diarrhea. Now it's something we should look into, 
But you're going to know your dog has diarrhea because they're going to be asking to go out more. You're possibly going to have accidents in the house. Um, They're going to be waking you up in the night because they can't hold it. And the worst of it is this diarrhea associated with stress colitis is often bloody and mucousy. And that's what really gets people's attention is when they see bright red blood in that stool. So when we see bright red blood in the stool, we know that the diarrhea and the bleeding is coming specifically from the end of the GI tract, like those last couple inches um, before the anus. Otherwise, the blood would be more digested. It wouldn't be that bright red. Please know that there are a million, well, maybe not a million, there's a lot of causes of diarrhea, and I am not going to talk um, talk about all of them today. In fact, I could do just a diarrhea podcast and probably have enough episodes for a couple years. Yeah, for real. So we're just, we're just talking about stress colitis. And along with this diarrhea, the big thing that we use in our diagnosis of this is a history. It never fails. If a dog comes in that had been at the kennel over the weekend and the owners picked it up and its stool was a little loose, we can just tell from the history what we're dealing with. So how do you decide if this is something that needs to be seen? Well, I have a couple criteria. First off, if this is the first time your dog has ever had an episode of diarrhea, I think it's smart to bring it in. If your dog has this condition every single time it goes to the dog kennel or every time Aunt Edna comes to stay, you might be able to just sit on it and watch it for a day because it is something that's been repeatable and you've been through it before. But if this is your first time, you need to call and make an appointment. If it doesn't resolve on its own in less than 24 hours, if your dog is vomiting or off food, or if they're acting lethargic or sick, Those are all big red flags that you need to bring your dog in. Now, a lot of times the stress colitis will resolve on its own as soon as the stress is removed in 24 hours. So if your dog does not seem to be acting sick, is not off feed, is not vomiting, can you afford to watch it for 24 hours? Yeah, I guess if you have a good carpet cleaner and plenty of supplies on hand to clean that mess up. But if you want a faster resolution, even if your dog isn't sick, um, isn't vomiting, you can still bring in a poop sample. In fact, whether you're actually bringing your dog to the clinic or you're just looking for um, advice or looking for medication, prescription or non-prescription, and I'll get to those later in the podcast, super duper good idea to bring a sample of poop. In fact, that is the absolute key to all of it, along with a good history. When we suspect a stress colitis, we'll actually do a fecal smear plus or minus a fecal float. So for fecal smear, we just take a little cotton swab and we smear it on a microscope slide. We stain it with a special stain and look at it under the microscope. Now on normal dog poop or cat poop, we should see a nice healthy mix of lots of different bacteria. Now this stain has different colors. So we will see pinks and purples. We'll see rods and cocci. We'll see big and small chains and pairs. Just a nice diversity. But when we have a colitis, often we see the overgrowth of one specific population in there. Now, the most common overgrowth that we see with stress colitis is an overgrowth of a bacteria called Clostridium. Now, nothing else looks like this 
they sporulate and they look like a bobby pin. At least I think they look like a bobby pin under the microscope. And they double in size. So when we see a couple of those on our microscope slide, it's like hitting the jackpot. It's pretty cut and dry. We know that the dog is going to respond well to our treatment and we feel like a hero. So we always pray to the microscope gods that that's what we're going to find when we have a dog with diarrhea. Sometimes we just see a lot of big purple rods that can be salmonellas and E. coli's. We can see that after they've eaten foods they're not supposed to. We can see spirochetes. We can see all sorts of different bacterial population overgrow in the gut as a result of stress. But by far at Marshall Animal Clinic, the number one offender is Clostridium. Clostridium is not something that your dog caught at the kennel. It's not a infectious bacteria in this situation. It's something that always lives there, but it's an opportunist and the physiological changes to the GI tract that occur during stress can allow it to overgrow. Now, I'm trying to keep these podcasts shorter than the 20 minutes because I want more people to listen. So you are not going to get a physiology lesson today on gut health and how it relates to mental health. But boy, that would be a fun thing to talk about. Not going to do it though. So let's talk about treatment. We have a couple of different treatments. And again, it totally depends on how far into it the dog is. And if this is a dog that is showing other clinical signs. So if your dog just has diarrhea, bloody diarrhea, stress colitis, but is not sick, not lethargic, we'll start them on one of two different antibiotics. We love metronidazole. It is a a drug that has anti-inflammatory effects and really can modify that gut bacteria. But we'll also use good old-fashioned amoxicillin. We don't use a lot of amoxicillin for respiratory infections and skin infections, but we do love it for colitis, enteritis, and gastritis when we suspect a bacterial overgrowth component to that. The other thing that we're huge fans of are the non-prescription supportive care. There are several different name brands out there. We like Proviable. We like Fortiflora. These are probiotics. Some of them contain prebiotic, and some of them contain kaolin. So kaolin is a natural clay that binds toxins in the GI tract, and all this clostridium bacteria, it actually releases little toxins, and it damages the lining of the gut, and that's why we get bleeding. And I said I wasn't going to give you any kind of physiology or science-y lesson, so I'm going to shut up right there. But just know that the -the over-the-counter diarrhea aids are legit They are real. They work. You can find some of them over the counter at places like Animal Health Center and Runnings. And of course, we carry them too at the Marshall Animal Clinic. So the kaolin paste, that's something that you give a couple times a day, along with prebiotic, which is food for bacteria. I know that sounds crazy. I think I talked about that a little bit in my first or second podcast. But it's very important that we feed healthy food so that the bacteria can repopulate. There are some other natural prebiotics, different fibers. One of the best ones that I think we should celebrate because it's Thanksgiving Day is canned pumpkin. It's a wonderful fiber that can be used by several different strains of beneficial bacteria in our gut. Whether you have a dog or a cat, a tablespoon of pumpkin in their food is always a good thing and is a natural remedy for a lot of different conditions. 
And then, of course, the bacteria. So bacteria comes commercially, often freeze-dried. So it's a dried powder. A lot of the companies make a big deal about whether it's alive and they can prove it's alive. And you know what? That's important, but it's not as important as people think. There has been a study in the last few years in humans with probiotics, and they did some, I don't know how they tagged it, some kind of, I want to say radioactive tag, but that sounds bad. Um, But they were able to somehow tag the bacteria and whether or not it was alive or killed when they gave it as a probiotic. And they found that even the killed bacteria had beneficial effects to the GI tract. So the theory is there are several components to bacteria. They have a cell wall. And I know I keep getting sciency on you. I'm sorry. But the point is these cell wall components can actually act as different modifiers in the GI tract. So whether the bacteria as a probiotic is alive or dead, it's still going to be beneficial. Now, if you get the chance to have live bacteria, by all means, eat that first. One way to do that is yogurt. I don't necessarily recommend feeding your dogs kombucha or kimchi or sauerkraut or other fermented bacterial foods. If you do anything, just do yogurt. Do a multi-culture live yogurt. So can dogs have human probiotics? Yeah, they can. But you know what? Human probiotics are really expensive. So I would stick to the dog ones. And just like with humans, there's several different strains. We have our lactobacillus and our bifidobacterium, which are big ones. There's also some yeast-based probiotics, saccharomyces-based, If you're thinking about putting your dog on a probiotic long-term because they have a recurrent bouts of diarrhea, you know, we'll guide you with what is going to be the best probiotic for your dog. A cute story about a dog named Shelby. Bless her heart. She's gone now. Shelby passed away um, late this summer, and I think she was 14 years old. She was a regular with stress colitis, like once a month until we figured out what her trigger was. She never went to the dog kennel. They never had visitors. She lived a charmed life. She got to take a walk two times a day. She got fed premium quality dog food. But they found out that every time Shelby's owner vacuumed, she would get stress colitis and diarrhea 24 hours later. So they ended up, the husband in the family had to take the dog out for a walk or go drive around Marshall while his wife vacuumed so that the dog didn't even know that the vacuuming was happening. And that slowed down her colitis so that she only had an episode a few times a year versus a few times a month. So Shelby, we did keep on a probiotic also. So she was constantly having a new stream of fresh bacteria, along with their possibly dead cell wall components. Another question that we get is, what should I feed my pet when they're having this diarrhea? So for dogs, we recommend if they're sick and they don't want to eat, that's fine. Don't force anything. In fact, 24 hours of no food, water's okay, will sometimes really give the gut a rest. And when you do start backup food or if your dog is just eating a little bit of their dog food but not a full amount, often a prescription diet like Science Diet ID or Royal Canin's GI It's just what they need. Those are especially digestible. They have a lot of those important fibers already built into them, and they're lower fat. Sometimes fats can be hard to digest. 
So that's one option. Another option that I like at home is to cook hamburger and rice. Now you can go back and listen to my first podcast and it talks a lot about people food. But our recipe for hamburger and rice or chicken and rice is to boil or fry your hamburger, rinse the grease off and make sure you're using lean burger or chicken or turkey, but rinse that grease off, get as much fat off of it as you can and mix that with two parts cooked rice. Now it doesn't matter if you use white rice, brown rice, minute rice, just two cups of cooked rice to one cup meat. So a two to one ratio. You don't need to salt it. You don't need to put any additives. Some animals prefer it at least warmed up to room temperature. And that rice will often really bind them up. Not like constipated, but often when you switch to that, it can be a day or two before you see a stool. We've had people call and be like, my dog had diarrhea a couple days ago, and now they haven't pooped in two days. So don't worry, your dog's not constipated. It just takes a little while to build up enough stool volume to have a formed stool again. Now we can see vomiting occasionally with these dogs. I would have to estimate 25% of dogs with a stress colitis will have some vomiting. If they vomit once or twice, I don't get too excited. If they are vomiting multiple times and don't want to eat, we almost always have to add an anti-nausea medicine. Our first choice being a product called Serenia that comes in both a pill and an injectable. Now if your dog can't keep anything down, food or water, obviously we're going to start with that injectable. But if they're holding water down and uh, for the most part their food down, often we will start with an oral serenio, oral anti-nausea medicine, you know, an hour before you offer food or your metronidazole or amoxie. Another big question that we get all the time um, over the phone about diarrhea and stress colitis in dogs is, can I use Pepto in my dog? And that's a tough one to answer, and I'm going to say maybe sometimes. I'm not opposed to a few doses of Pepto on a dog that is not vomiting, not acting lethargic, not acting sick, just to see if that can help them along. But I always recommend they do a little probiotic with it. One thing about Pepto that you need to know is that changes the color of the poop and can make it very dark. And we don't want to what's the word I'm looking for, Um, misinterpret that as upper GI bleeding, because that also can make the stool very dark, almost black. I did have a dog years ago that we were treating for vomiting and diarrhea, and they had been giving Pepto, and I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, I don't think you need to. And we took a series of x-rays. And of course, this was a long time ago where we had to actually um, run our x-rays through a processor and it kind of took forever. It was a chemical x-ray development. We didn't have our digital. And we took a series of x-rays over a couple days and we kept seeing these little metal looking spots on the x-ray moving through her GI tract. And I kept saying, what is she eating? It looks like she's eating pieces of metal. And they said, we swear she's not eating anything. You know, she's hardly eating any dog food because she's sick. We're with her 24 hours a day. She's not off leash. We have no idea what she's getting to. (laughs) Well, it turned out that those little marks that looked like metal that were going through her GI tract that I could see on the x-rays were Pepto-Bismol tablets. So those tablets don't always disintegrate in the dog. 
and they will move through the GI tract almost like a little piece of metal. So be sure that if you are going to use Pepto-Bismol in your dog, A, consult your veterinarian first. You're going to have to get the dose from them because I'm not going to tell you. Or B, make sure you use the liquid. So um, cute little story there. So I'm approaching 20 minutes. My goal was to do this podcast in 10 and it's not going to happen. So Uh, I just wanted to share with you a little bit about stress colitis, something we see every day. If you see blood in your dog's loose stool, you need to let us know. Um, We have medicine that can help you. You definitely need to save some of that diarrhea. So before you pick it up off your carpet, make sure to use a little paper towel that scoops them up, put it in a Ziploc bag and save it because we're going to want to see it. All right. Well, you know where to find me. I'm at the Marshall Animal Clinic, www.marshallanimalclinic.com. Our phone number is 507-537-1537. We'll see you at the next podcast. Thanks.